Welcome to this episode of Virtual Coffee, with dialogues about the future of health, including innovation, the new era of digital first, physical next, and reflections from outside of healthcare. Brief conversations, as if it were in a barista cafe, always realistic, but with a positive outlook. There are enough pessimistic channels out there already. I'm your host. My name is Lucien Engelen. 40 years of healthcare experience in ambulance services, dispatch centers, University Medical Center, and Singularity University. Both a global keynote speaker and strategic advisor, all mainly on the innovation intersection of technology and patient empowerment. Started during the COVID pandemic, checking in with friends, colleagues, and experts about topics that matter to them and to me. Distributed through LinkedIn Live, YouTube, and Facebook with video, and through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and other audio platforms, or via my website, www.transform.health. Welcome, everybody, to this virtual coffee on this sunny Thursday afternoon on May 28th. I'm very proud today to have a great dialogue with a good friend of mine who for years already has been sharing some passion with me on the intersection on health and artificial intelligence, uh, which is Jarno Duesma. Jarno, good afternoon. How are you? Good afternoon, Lucien. I'm fine. Thanks. Glad to be here. Well, thank you for joining me. So what is the thing that is the most on top of your mind in the last couple of weeks that you're proud of uh, in terms of your profession or even your personal life? So the first thing is that I'm proud of is our uh, adaptability, our, our, uh, the possibility to adapt to the new situation. And uh, both in my family and in my profession. So I'm a professional speaker. And as you know, everything got canceled within a week and a half. Welcome so to my world. Yeah, so, so I'm proud of my own adaptability. Uh, most of my uh, lectures are now online. And uh, I've created a new webinar about the impact of uh, Corona on technology. And it's a tech update 2020. So I'm most proud of uh, both uh, personal and uh, professional. Well, it's great to hear. I think that's in indeed the adaptability of a lot of people amazes not only themselves, but also their surroundings indeed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. sure. Uh, and that has nothing to do with artificial intelligence, right? Uh, nothing. No, <laughs> nothing. No. So I was curious, right? So we spoke uh, and I sent you a text message about digital healthcare because I was so curious on what the real impact of, of, of COVID-19 is on the acceleration of digital healthcare, right? So, so there's more remote consulting, I think. There's more video conferencing. But what, did, what do I miss? What is, what is happening? What is the impact? Well, I think the impact is maybe not really on technology side. What I see, what I've seen, what we all have seen happening is that in healthcare things got back to basics, the things that matter the most, the interaction between patients and physicians, and really to treat the patients as good as possible, without all kinds of other noise surrounding that. For instance, uh, giving the uh, uh, given the fact that the ability to show up physically in a lot of ca cases indeed boosted what we like to call digital healthcare. And I think video consultation, just like we're doing right now, is obviously one of those, but it's not the only thing. Also being able to monitor and measure 
vital signs remotely for patients from patients into the homes uh, into the offices of uh, of physicians and nurses also gotten the boost. I think companies like Philips and others are now working on a patch that we all, by the way, like seven, eight years ago, already identified as one of the major changes that will happen. Now, all of a sudden, during this COVID pandemic, really proven their, their added value, for instance. And yeah, I think there's a couple of patches in it. They differ a bit. Uh, the ones that, uh, that I see happening and being used a lot right now do create a, uh, a one-lead AKG, for instance. They measure your heart rate. They measure your respiration rate. Some of those also are able to measure the saturation rate of your the oxygenation of your blood, SpO2, and others. And there will be added functionalities more and more into it. It's more like you now are able with a very simple patch that connects to your chest, connected to the internet in a safe, secure way, either with a hub or not, to collect data in the homes of people themselves without having to bring them into the facilities, for instance. Yeah, so, so, so I understand uh, the functionality, but are, are doctors prepared for dealing with this new type of data or nurses, or are they maybe too busy with COVID-19 at the moment? Can you elaborate on that? Well, first of all, I think this is not new. We can kind of phrase it as this happened due to Corona, but this was happening already. In one of the interviews I gave into a Dutch national newspaper, I said, we've been pregnant from digital health for years, and now all of a sudden it came to life with the C-section. Uh, but again, this was already happening. Physicians, nurses, and other healthcare workers are used to use data. They use data from ambulatory lab uh, laboratories, from radiology, and all kinds of other ones. New is that it will come remotely. And it's even in the narrative of healthcare professionals. They need to see their patient, yeah. which up until now was like seeing in real life. Physical. Physically sitting at your table. And now we take that physical element out of that. So the video conference aspect is the easiest one because we still can see. And it actually adds value to the other way that we connected to patients, which was with the phone, that we gave a phone consultation to patients. The next version of handling data and also being handled by algorithms, for instance, that's a new topic. Algorithms are not new to healthcare workers, but th that they will be brought in from remote brings in new challenges, let's be honest. Because so, so, so I'm, I'm sorry to interrupt, but is there, oh, is there like something when you see the patient, right, you also can can uh, look into to each other's eyes or you can sure. sometimes smell or you can see what kind of clothes somebody is wearing if they are Absolutely. clean or dirty. So, so is there a solution to this missing part in, in, in physical conversation? No, I think it's, 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 it's and and. Um, digital health in all its varieties and, and everything is not one solution. And it also is not fitting for every patient and, and even for one patient, not in every situation. It matters the context. Just as an example, uh, we've worked a lot with youngsters with cancer, the IAS, in the age of 18 to 35 years. And by medical protocol, they have to show up every six weeks to their oncologist for a consultation of, what's it, like 10 minutes. So in sometimes it, you need to be physical present due to the factors that you just mentioned, but sometimes it's only a verbal communication. And these kids would say, so 
I don't want to come up for the 10 minutes, but last week I needed you for an hour and I couldn't get a hold on you. So if we bring in choice to the mix, choice which has been given by use of digital tools, not as a goal, but as a tool, that's where things start to matter, I think. And also in keeping healthcare affordable. I'm not saying that digital health per se reduces costs, but also on a societal level. Let's be honest. If you have to go to the physician's office, you need to take a day off. Sometimes yes. you need to bring your partner. You burn fossil fuels. They need to be parking, build parking lots. All of those factors do matter. So I think it's one of the aspects. It doesn't fit for everything. You've also seen that happening during this COVID pandemic, uh, where in some cases it does work, and in some cases it absolutely does not work. Yeah, so uh, when it comes to remote consulting right there, I forgot the name of the scale-up, but it had an app and you could take a picture of a mole, of a birthmark, and that it could determine, it tried to determine if, it, if this mole was just a regular one or a dangerous one. Um, so first, uh, what do you think about the fact that artificial intelligence is used more and more in diagnostics and is it trustworthy? And um, no, so first of all, these two questions, what do you think about it? And, and can we trust when you, it comes to the youngsters with cancers, you take a picture of a mole mm -hmm. and is it tr trustworthy? I'm not sure. Yeah, I think one of the companies that has done that is SkinVision. Mm -hmm. oh, yeah, uh, and at first they, there was research presented that they were accurate like in 40%, which is way too low as we can imagine. Uh, since they've boosted it up into the 90th percentage and one of the major healthcare insurance companies in the Netherlands, CZ, is reimbursing that already. Okay. So I like to look at these kind of developments just like a new doctor that is in training. At first, you got this training to become a medical doctor, like seven or eight years, and then you become a specialist. And I think the same also happens to technological solutions. There is a pathway that goes into it. At first, it's not good enough. And then all of a sudden, it's the same. And then maybe some of those aspects will become better than the physician, or maybe not better, but always sustainable, like 24-7, without being yeah. grumpy, without being sleepy, and always safe. And not forget that one, globally scalable. Why is it that we keep inventing new stuff over and over again in the Netherlands, and we do the same in Germany, and then we run it in the UK and in the US, not to mention in Asia, for instance? So yeah. I think the world becomes a lot smaller due to these things. And yes, at first these new um, solutions might be not as good enough. But that's the interesting thing, as you know all about that, is that the learning capabilities of these AIs uh, or, and machine learning, which is often uh, used at present, actually, um, uh, takes some time and takes data. Yeah, and, and when do you introduce a AI system in the doctor's room that is a solution for, uh, let's say, once again, the, taking the picture of the mole? What is the, what is the moment and uh, uh, the parameters that you decide to actually use it in the in the doctor's room that it's operational? What can you? What's the decision-making path? Well, first of all, I think we need to be sure that it's safe and that it's secure, and that it does what it is intended to do, also from an ethical perspective, actually. However, Jarno, that does not differ from how we introduce a new intervention or a new medicine or a new drug. 
we need to take uh, the, the measurements and make sure that it complies to all the laws and regulations that we have in place, that we've put in place for the right reasons. Although we also need to be mindful of that the standard way of proving these things, like in, for instance, with a randomized clinical trial, for some cases is way too long in terms of the, the, the throughput, in terms of time that it needs. And maybe that's also something where, in the end of the day, algorithms and, and machine learning and, and, and AIs really could help. Yeah, and and um, in our previous conversation, we talked about the ambulance that uh, came to your front mm. door already knowing or yeah. uh, the prediction being made of your possible heart attack uh, uh, thanks to the data on your smartwatch or maybe yeah. a, a device or a patch, etc. Can you talk a little bit about the current situation of uh, algorithmic uh, uh, predictions? Yeah, that, you refer to a joke that I often made during my keynotes, uh, just to exemplify what AI could do in the end of the day. And the and it, it, it kind of ran indeed like, uh, I've been in ambulance service for over 35 years and all of a sudden my doorbell would ring and I would open up and two former colleagues would stare me into the eyes and I would say, hey guys, how's it? how are things? They all, it's fine with us, but we're here for the cardiac arrest. And I would say, there's no cardiac arrest. And they would say, just sit down, Lucien, within three minutes, that will be the case. Yeah. So it kind of exemplifies what the evaluation was. Meanwhile, let's take the Netherlands. 800 ambulances or something like that, I don't have the, the latest numbers in it, are being positioned nationwide on spots where, based on data, algorithms can predict how big of a chance that there will be that there will be either a motor vehicle accident or in that neighborhood, a acute intervention needed, like a cardiac arrest or something like that. So it is being used already. Maybe not like in the joke that I made, but I'm sure that will be the case. Uh, a lot of people now are wearing these kind of devices. The first one of the first medical devices, FDA approved, in this case from Apple, that is being sold over the counter without the prescription of a physician and is able to detect anomalies in my uh, cardiac rhythm, for instance. Next step will be that we learn a lot about this and the biggest heart study done ever, by the way, was done by Apple together with Stanford University based on this, uh, this, uh, this Apple Watch. So we're learning. This is a book that we all are writing as we speak, new opportunities, new possibilities, but also new challenges. Yeah, and I thought, so to be honest, there were, uh, I always like to say that there were crooks in the Middle Ages, and there will be crooks in the future as well. But yeah. let's not take healthcare and developments and, and innovations accountable for that one or two crooks that there yeah. always will be. I totally agree, totally agree. So so when, when we look at the future, what will be the role of, of let's say, Apple, right? So I, I, I visit my doctor, or maybe we have a remote uh, consult, and I take off my Apple Watch, I, I, I uh, log into the system, or maybe the doctor can log into my iCloud. What is next for quantified self and uh, remote healthcare? What do you think? Wow, that's like 16 questions in one sentence. Um, um, well, first of all, I think it's not about Apple. It's not about Google. It's not about Amazon. It's, it's like tech companies in general. What they share is that they are already in our daily life with devices, with data, with our purchase history, 
with knowing stuff about us. And although we try to be very careful about what we share with these companies, we share tons of stuff. Sometimes we don't know about that, but that's also your own responsibility, I think, for, for, for part of it. And that data will be used, for instance, to change your behavior. Let's be honest. We know that 50% of all the diseases that you could run into are kind of preventable by having a healthy lifestyle, do your workout, eat well, don't drink, don't smoke, these kind of aspects. What would happen if the, and this is a bit tricky, slopery uh, uh, kind of thing, what would happen if the psychological warfare that the apples and alikes are issuing to me so I get a bit nauseous that I don't own the latest iPhone is being used to talk me into having a more healthy lifestyle, for instance, or to do my workout in a proper way based on the data models that I have given access to and I also can revoke. So back to your question in terms of digital health, I think that that data outside of the medical sphere is going to be utilized also in the medical sphere. Yeah, it's very interesting. And uh, one of my topics that I've been studying in the past year and a half is uh, voice analytics. So mm -hmm. you have uh, smart uh, AI systems that can um, uh, an analyze your voice. And of course, they can determine your gender and your ethnicity, and they can uh, make a guess what your age is, but also a lot more... Um, uh, physical and also, also some mental health uh, if you're obese or there's uh, maybe a risk for depression. What do you think of this uh, a, a technological innovation? Uh, do you have examples of companies using this? I think that the data in general, like I just said, is, is going to be unlocked based on what you as a citizen that one time might become the patient is going to use. And one of the things that I've seen in, in my formal work also at Robert University Medical Center is that it differs who you asking the question whether or not they will be open to share data. And one of the things that I've seen happening is that if you would ask somebody who does not suffer from whatever kind of disease or condition and would say, would you, and preferably on the street, would you be able to share all your data? You know what they are going to say. They're going to say no. But if you would run into somebody that lives with a chronic condition, they yeah, probably sure. would say, yes, if that helps me and is beneficial for me handling my disease, I will be very open into it. Yeah. So it matters who you're asking the question. It also matters when you're asking the question. Healthcare and also data around healthcare is a quote-unquote low-interest article until it hits your own breakfast table, and then you want to go from zero to 100 in a split second. And that's what's changing. That's yeah. also how data and information coming from the internet, for instance, also changes. And I think voice is a very good example that you just mentioned. Uh, we're just on the brink of exploring how voice really could play a role. A lot of us are using or have used Siri or other voice agents to fiddle around a, a bit with for, at first. Yeah. I see now as these systems evolve and becoming more accurate that I'm using it more and more, even in my car. Yeah. Uh, and it does work. Yeah. Um, and, 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 
I'm sorry to interrupt, but you you told me uh, that you were responsible for Project Silver, that is using uh, a voice technology, a digital assistant with elderly. Can you talk about that? Oh, no, no, I'm, I'm not responsible for that. I, I think we, we were talking about Wendy, which was the virtual oh, yeah, sure. assistant. Uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Silver is a project of a good friend of ours, uh, Martin and yeah. Fitzgerald and, and, and friends. And I think that that's a perfect example. You know, we tend to think that elderly people are not capable of using technology, while in the real world, they are. You know, my own mother-in-law, not so long ago, had a hip replacement. And the way that she handles her iPad with us and our grandchildren, nobody had to learn her how to use that iPad. Because the user interface is so damn easy, and that's the same also for voice assistants. Once people get over that initial kind of hesitation, they just dump, jump into it fiercely, like jumping in a, into a pool, for instance. Yeah. And then they also start to talking to it um, with confidence. And we've seen the same happening in, and I think you were referring to that project, which is Wendy, which mm -hmm. is a virtual digital human uh, that we've brought from New Zealand uh, um, uh, and now in collaboration with Deloitte, for instance, in Omring uh, is being utilized for COVID questions. You also now see that these elderly people and their clients are starting to talk with it and also have this social chit-chatting aspect of it. And uh, we see the same also happening with real human-like robots, like uh, the ones that are being utilized at Philadelphia, for instance, uh, which is called Fee, I think. People are getting used to those new user interfaces. And the interesting thing is that underneath, under the bonnet, there's the same technology that we can use and also put spread globally, I think. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so Wendy was used, right, for uh, first uh, frequently asked questions concerning COVID-19. Mm -hmm. and, and so now people are talking to the AI software system and the system is also a little bit capable of social chit-chatting. Yeah. Uh, okay, that's interesting that's, because uh, yeah. difficult. So it's, it's learning, like mm -hmm. all these systems are learning at, f at first and... Uh, every year I bring a group of people to a conference from Singularity University in, 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 in San Diego, Exponential Medicine, from my good friend Daniel Croft. And uh, this uh, last year, uh, a couple of people from Omrin joined me and from Deloitte, and together we brought that, I brought them together with Unique. And the thing you see is that the Dutch language in these voice en engines still is a way back uh, uh, if you compare it to the English um, uh, uh, speech engines, of course, because they've been trained like millions of light years already. Yeah. So this project that Marta Lenz and 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 the the elderly union is is running with ten thousand um, uh, devices from Google is also being used to train the Dutch uh, voice narrative as well, and that's where also this chit chatting gradually comes in because it understands you and and people forget about it's it's a physical it's a non physical interface in the end of the day. And again, this is not for everyone. Again, like we've talked also about the digital health aspects, it's great for some, and it's great for some at some point, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes you just want to smell people and you want to see your grandchild yeah. as opposed to talking to a, a, a speaker, for instance. Yeah, so I'm really curious to know about what people discuss with this digital assistant, right? And, and, and oh. if it is capable of answering more medical questions about maybe a cough or some uh, muscle pain or etc do you have any uh, thoughts about that what it's what what a digital 
Dutch uh, assistant is capable of yeah. in, in the future? Yeah, well, first of all, this system is, is, is very early work. We just launched it yesterday in the open and starting to dip our toes in it in, yeah. in the Dutch context. So that's one. If I look into what this group already has been doing in English, they have complete cardiac coaches created by Maureen Johnson uh, from Australia that is capable of handling people that had heart surgery to recuperate in all kinds of aspects, uh, even combined with showing your pillbox to the system and that it recognizes exactly which medication it is, what the side effects will be. And again, it's, it's way beyond that we are right now in the Dutch context, but we could wait for years, but we've decided as Deloitte together with Omring to just jump into it yeah. and gradually build that out. Yeah, yeah, uh, and collect, Also uh, doing research in it. Yeah, and to learn. So yesterday I saw this small clip of a uh, scale-up company that uh, ha also used computer vision. So you mentioned the pillbox, right? That was shown to the camera. And uh, it, uh, it was a coach, a digital avatar coach for people that needed a physical workout. And the system also used computer vision to determine if people were using their body in the right way. So it was very interesting where the digital avatar was not only um, coaching in a let's say more static way right but also using com computer vision to determine if the posture of do while doing the exercise was uh, all right so i was really impressed yeah. about a new innovation in, in in remote healthcare yeah so the interesting thing here is that w when you just mentioned this example there's this example about drones during covid uh, not only being used in Asia, but also in other places where a drone would fly across a city and then the system detects that there was uh, uh, way less than this 1.5 meter distance and groups gathering. And then they would signal like yeah. authorities or whatever. So the, the way that they could done, do that and also to determine whether or not somebody has COVID is also capable of these AIs knowing the postures and they've created human-like interactions with all the joints that you got in your elbows and stuff like that. So that again is early work, but it will come into the mix also for physiotherapy indeed, yeah. where it exactly is able to, without the intervention of a physiotherapist is guiding you and the results will be sent back to your physiotherapist and to yourself that would chime in in the last 10 minutes and would say, well, maybe just want to bend a bit more over the next time or do this exercise combined with that giving also the opportunity to do it in an asynchronous way on the moment that you as a person or as a patient uh, really do want that. And it could be in the early morning or in the afternoon or maybe even in the middle of the night. God knows. So Extremely interesting. I think it is. And it's, I, I think it's very interesting times that we're in right now. I think we only see the, the first glimpse of these things. Uh, I always like to mention Amara's Law, one of the mathematicians from the US that always states we tend to overestimate the speed of the implementation of developments, but we underestimate the impact of them. And hey, that's and, also and one of Lucien, the what, what, what technological development? So let's let's look into in, in, in the, into the future for let's say for five years. What technological development are you most enthusiastic about or you see the most capabilities the most possibilities well that's a children's dilemma um, i think that 
being able to detect early on diseases that are developing for citizens that are not patients yet and to keep them out of or have early detection and diagnostics will be a big field. Yeah. And I'm enthusiastic about that, not only because I like technology, let's be honest. I like to think about myself as a technologist real, realist, uh, uh, not only optimistic, but also try to be realistic in that. So that's the first reason. Second reason for that is that we also see that healthcare is an unsustainable system as we run it right now. We know that from what determines your health, if you would create a pillar for that, it's like 20% is being determined based on your DNA, your genetic profile. Again, 20, 25% is based on where you were born. It matters if you were born uh, in suburbs or in a very wealthy um, neighborhood, for instance. And then we got like 40% depends on your behavior. 9% of your health is being determined by the interventions that the medical field is issuing. 90%, so that's nine zero. So there's something wrong in the mix if we would be able, based on data insights that become executable, to shift that more from the fixing stuff and solving yeah. problems into preventing. That's an area where I think that a lot of things are, are coming. And let's combine some of the things. Um, the virtual of the digital human that we've talked about is also capable of having emotional recognition. There you go. Could see a depression coming earlier than yourself feel it already voice is able to determine whether or not and i think max little who's a mathematician from the us has done great work uh, on parkinson's disease he only needs a sound clip of 10 yeah. seconds to determine that you at one point in your life will uh, will suffer from parkinson's disease for instance so combining all those things and let's not get too over enthusiastic but brings in opportunities at least that are worthwhile to explore. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to do. Yeah, so prediction and prevention, that's, that's the most interesting part. Yes, so um, the reason I'm hesitating a bit is that normally I, I, use, a, I, I use a picture of, of, of a data model. In healthcare, we now use historical data enclosed in scientific literature to base the, 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 the steps and interventions on. We're now in the era of recent data where a physician would take an intervention based on the lab results of this morning or an MRI from yesterday. And we're now heading to this new era of real-time data. So with it also, the context of the data changes from yeah. static data into predictalytics, which we are right now. And I think the next phase will be prescriptalytics. So without the intervention of a physician or a nurse based on tons of data and your preferences and your personal profile, there will be a prescription already for you ready. Um, all kinds of ethical questions. We could talk for hours about that and hopefully to combine with my good colleague, Amy von Weinsberger, who tries to create this system for responsible robotics and AI. Uh, but we need to, to take that discussion uh, in because it's also worthwhile to explore again. Yeah. So I'm 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 not sure uh, uh, about the time. So so, but I, I also want to wrap to, up. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So one last question. One hmm. last question. So I know it's a difficult question, but 
what technological developments in the past years we've seen all the mega trends right we've seen mm. ai we've seen the blockchain we've seen vr augmented reality internet of things so what technological trend were you most yeah let's say disappointed in that you'd hoped that now in 2020 we it would be more utilized or more used or a better resolving in better products um Yes, well, it, it, it is technology. I think data. There's so much data that we could have used to predict or to make the lives of people better and merely to create a better experience of the healthcare system. I'm not against the system as it runs right now, but there, is, there could be more experience-based aspects of it, uh, like, like we've seen happening with our online shopping models with our booking models and and even uh, the data from our banks are uh, being given to you whenever you need that um, so utilizing the, the utilization of data that already is present and the combination of that that kind of dis disappointed me up until now sometimes it's based on what's that time needs to do his work Sometimes it's based on the ever ongoing and, and, and needed debate about privacy and security, and we should. But I, uh, and I think the example of Tyrannos always is a good one. I was very enthusiastic about Tyrannos with that finger prick and, and everything that goes with it. Turns out she's a crook. And there were crooks in the Middle Ages, and there will be crooks in the future, as I always like to say. But let's not measure innovation on those. Because also in the medical field, if you go to the website, retractionwatch.org you can see how many scientific papers have been to be retracted because somebody also turns out to be a crook so that's not exclusive to the innovation world it's something that is present always has been present and always will be present so again i think it's good to talk about things and really to think through also the ethical implications but i also think that we should really embrace the, the, the opportunities that are on the horizon. And if technology can help as a tool, again, not as a goal, I think we really should be doing that. And I think the best thing to do that is to give choice to citizens and patients where now they don't have a choice. They just have to show up at an institution right now. Yeah, I have a ton more of questions, but I think it's time to wrap up. Thank you for this great uh, okay. dialogue and conversation, uh, Jarno. Okay. I, uh, I really enjoyed it. And I think there's yeah. tons more. And yeah, uh, once and this COVID period is, is ended, I really think that we should hang out also in real life. Yeah, um, we should. We should. Uh, again, thank you for this uh, conversation. Turning back to, uh, to the audience out there, thank you for your, uh, for your uh, recognition uh, in, in the live stream. Thanks for the heads up uh, out there, all of you. Uh, this video also will be posted uh, not only on LinkedIn. Uh, uh, you can still comment on that uh, again. It also will be posted on uh, YouTube and the audio version in the podcast series of Yarno. Looking forward to it. Uh, thank you very much and, uh, and stay safe.